Our reading today is from Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon, is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you may tell them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. This is the word of the Lord. May we have ears to hear it and may his blessing be added to it. There's a reformed minister who lives in California named John Ortberg. And one day he shared a story of when he went out surfing to a nearby empty beach. He said that the only other guy there was a man the size of a Goliath doing Taekwondo on the sand. So obviously he gave him a wide berth. Ortberg then paddled out to the waves, at which time this tiny wisp of a kid floated up beside him. It was an eight-year-old boy who told Ortberg that he had been surfing for seven years now. Even still, the pastor was worried that this small kid who could have surfed on the back of a frisbee was out in the ocean all by himself. Ortberg was genuinely concerned that this kid would end up drowned or eaten by a shark or something. So as they floated and talked, Ortberg asked the kid how he got there. My dad brought me, he said, and he waved to the beach. And the Goliath guy there standing waved back and said, Hi, son. Ortberg then recalled, I knew why this little boy was so at home in the ocean. It wasn't his size. It wasn't his skill. It was who was sitting on the beach. His father was always watching, and his father was very big. The little boy wasn't really alone at all, and neither are we. You see, the presence of our Father makes a great difference in our day-to-day life. Psalm 48 invites us to the city of the great king, where God is not removed, distant, or uncaring, but instead he is close, he is alert, he is always watching out for us. But what is it like to be in his presence, and what does it do to us? One of the absolute best things about kids is how much they clearly relish being in the presence of those who love them. If I'm leaving the house for an errand, I usually have to pause for a few rounds of hugs from my kids because for some reason they have to like stockpile them to last the 30 minutes or so until I get back. And when I do return, I get tackled by fast-moving blurs who enthusiastically greet me by ramming their heads into my kidneys. When you love someone... You want to be as close to that person as much as possible. That proximity means that you can bask in their presence, experience the joy that comes with that connection. In the Old Testament, Israel had a special connection with God that the rest of the world did not. Ever since God chose Abraham and his descendants to be his people, God began to dwell in their midst. 
He was among them as a pillar of smoke and fire as they traveled through the desert. Can you imagine how that would make you feel? You're walking along there, a long trek, and you see this enormous, smoky, fiery pillar over there, and knowing you know that God Almighty is in the center of it. A few centuries later, and God finally made his home in the temple in Jerusalem so that his people could not be deprived of his presence, a presence that brought them joy. The psalmist here welcomes us into the city of the great king, Jerusalem, where the Lord sat on the temple mount. The city had become this incredibly beautiful place, but it wasn't because of its human workmanship. It was because of God's presence. You see, God has that effect when he makes his home somewhere. When Moses encountered the Lord in the burning bush, Moses was told that the ground around it had become holy just because God was there. It wasn't holy ground before or after, just during this brief stay. The real virtue wasn't in the object, but what inhabited the object. God's presence changes his surroundings. That happens on a much larger lasting sense with Jerusalem as the Lord descends upon the city and dwells there. He makes it holy. He makes it beautiful. He makes it a place where heaven and earth mate. Israelites went on pilgrimages to the city of the great king to worship God in his presence, to praise him with their whole hearts. But of course, God is no longer living on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. He hasn't been there for a very long time. We know that following the ascension of Christ into heaven, the Holy Spirit came to live here, not in buildings, but in believers. As 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? So everything that applied to the city of the great king in Psalm 48 applies to our lives as followers of Christ. We have that intimacy and proximity with God because God is in us, making us holy, setting us apart. And no matter where we go, the beauty and the joy of God travels with us. As much as God pours that joy into us, our response should be to pour praise back into him. God is, as verse 1 says here, most worthy of praise. When we take time each day to praise God, we delight in the closeness that he gives us. It kind of makes it harder to complain, doesn't it? Harder to say that God is far away and doesn't care. Let's praise God, not just on Sundays, but every day. Now, not everyone is delighted by the presence of God. We remember back in Psalm 2 how the kings of nations conspired to bring down the Lord. And here we get this image of a joint army and navy coming to attack God. It's a metaphor that we see play out even today as the secular world attacks God and anyone who is on his team. Those inside the city of the great king should have had a really good reason to be afraid when they saw this attack coming. However, the opposite happens. Fear doesn't strike God's people. Fear strikes those trying to fight God. The great armies flee in terror and are shattered, not after a huge conflict, but merely upon coming before the presence of the Lord. What brings us joy also brings God's enemies a terror so great that they can't stand it. And it's not just a metaphor either. The scenario happens so many times in the Old Testament where Israel looked to be on the brink of destruction but was saved by the presence of God. 
One of my favorite stories happened in 2 Kings 6, where the Armenians had surrounded the city of Dothan with a huge army. And in that city was the prophet Elisha, who goes up to the walls with a servant to check out the situation. Upon seeing the enemy army, Elisha's servant begins to freak out. What are we going to do? What shall we do? He cries to Elisha. And the prophet has an amazing response here. In verse 16, he says, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha then prays that God will open the servant's eyes to the reality of the situation. And in verse 17, it says, The servant looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God's way bigger army was surrounding this human army, and the people in the city were as safe as could be, even if they couldn't see it. So often we are that servant, seeing nothing but fear and threat that's out there instead of the might and protection of the Lord. Right now it seems like the election, the economy, the coronavirus are fighting it out on the front page of the news to see what can scare us the most. Yet as Christians, we know better. We know that we have a God who surrounds those threats with his sovereign power. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? The presence of God brings security. And it isn't an imaginary safety blanket that we created to make ourselves feel better. Psalm 48, 8 tells us that the protection of God has been seen and has been heard because real faith rests on testimony and proof. When we face the fears of the future, we can look to God's protection in the past to put those fears to rest. There's no end to your fear until your eyes are open to the greatness and security of God. There's nothing you face that God is not greater than. The latter half of Psalm 48 is a tour through the city of the great king. The people go to the temple to be near God, to meditate on his unfailing love. They walk around the city. They look at citadels while thinking about God's justice and his righteousness. There's this constant sense of discovery because there is no end to what can be learned about God. Recently, the NBC sitcom The Good Place came to a conclusion after its fourth season. I know I've talked about this show before, but I can't help but be fascinated by a show on network TV that actually tries to tackle morality and the afterlife without any mention or presence of God. The whole show's message is that people can become good through their own efforts and philosophy. But in that last episode, something really interesting happened. The main characters finally made it to the good place, this version of heaven, and they began to enjoy an eternity there. Yet eventually they become bored with it. One by one, choose to go through a doorway and become annihilated rather than continue their existence. The show's creator, Michael Schur, explained this by saying it's, it's an inescapable conclusion. It doesn't matter how great things are. If they go on forever, they'll be boring. And in this, I agree with him because any eternal heaven without God would eventually get boring. There would be a limit to what we could enjoy and learn and do. But that's not the reality of our life now or our life in heaven because we have the great king at the center who is infinitely discoverable. C.S. Lewis tried to give us a vision of that in his final Narnia book, The Last Battle, when the followers of Aslan realized that the further they ventured into Aslan's country, the bigger and better it became. 
The last line of that book said that this was the beginning of the true story, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Discovery is still all around us. In the last decade, humanity has detected the first gravitational waves, saw photos of Pluto from a passing probe, found evidence of water on Mars, created a vaccine to combat the Ebola virus, developed gene therapy that could fight cancer. There's no end to the discoveries that we're still making in our world. So why do we think that this is any different when it comes to God? It's why I get frustrated when I see adults who have decided somewhere along the line that they know everything they want to about the Bible and God. Then they stop trying to learn more. Maybe discovering more is scary for them because it will cause them to grow instead of staying in a safe, tiny rut. The author of Hebrews addresses this type of stagnating Christian by saying that by this time you ought to be teachers, but instead you need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Ellie said to me the other day that because I'm a pastor, I must know all there is in the Bible. I had to correct her by saying that I could study the Bible for the rest of my life and still be discovering new things about God's word. And when I discover those things, I am excited to share them with others. That's the effect of a discovery in God's presence. You don't want to keep it to yourself. As God's people, we are not called to stagnate, to stay at home. We are called to go to all nations, to share our discoveries with those who haven't heard the message of the gospel. God's presence instills great joy in his people, surrounds them with security, and prompts a never-ending quest to discover and share who he is. What's something new you've learned about God lately? Your challenge this week is to take that discovery and share it with somebody else in your life.